it sound Oh may I then in him be found Dressed in his righteousness alone Faultless stand before the throne looking back this week at baby dedications and it seems like uh, we have dedicated a green baby every year since they joined the church. Um, I'll assure you and and Lauren will assure you that was the last one so um, but we celebrate both of those precious families. Uh, We continue in our series life-changing apps this morning looking at the book of 1st John Uh, A couple of weeks ago, if you happen to have an Apple iPhone, uh, Apple came out with their new operating system for the iPhone, which was uh, the iOS 7. And uh, I don't know anything about technology. I I don't know anything really about smartphones, except that I can use it to call and text and even check my email. Uh, But apparently it was a big deal. And so people were rushing out to get it and downloading it. And I saw on the internet people talking about how much better it is than the last one and uh, all of those things that go with it. So I thought, I'm going to download this thing. If it's new and it's better, I want to try to download it. So I began to download it on a uh, over the wireless internet. And as it was downloading, it continued to tell me, you can't download this Uh, Because it takes up so much memory, you don't have enough memory available. So I had to begin to try to get rid of things on my iPhone to be able to download this new uh, operating system. How many of you have Apple phones have downloaded that new system? A lot of you. Anybody hold out yet, not downloaded it? Got a couple of holdouts, old people on the grass. Get off the grass, right? I don't want anybody to change. But that's kind of the way I was. But as I started, I thought, I just don't need this thing because it's too much trouble. Because what happened was I eventually had to get rid of everything I had on my iPhone to be able to download this new system. I got rid of pictures, I got rid of apps, I got rid of everything. And I was talking to someone later that week, which was just a couple of weeks ago, and and somebody that knew a lot more about technology than I do, and they said, listen, you didn't have to get rid of it all. All you had to do was take it and put it on the cloud, and then once you downloaded the new system, then you could bring back from the cloud all of the stuff that you really wanted to keep in the first place. Now, not only did I feel stupid 
because I'd gotten rid of everything. Uh, as he was explaining that to me, I began to think in context of what we're studying in the book of 1 John, and I thought, you know, that's, that's almost exactly the way Christians deal with sin. You know, the Bible says we've been given a new operating system. We have a new upgrade, completely new. The Bible says you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. And what happens is when we get convicted of sin, when we realize that sin does not fit within this new operating system, our old apps don't work anymore in this new operating system, instead of getting rid of them, instead of wiping the slate clean, what we do is we put them in, in a spiritual cloud. We kind of put them off with the hope or anticipation that if anything happens or if something happens, we can just grab those things and bring them back. We come to church, we, we push those things in the cloud. We, we, we have uh, some Bible study or something that we're, God's convicting us, and so we push them into the cloud instead of getting rid of them. And in doing so, we forget about the consequences of sin. We forget how dangerous and how deadly sin is. We forget about what sin does to the body of Christ. We forget what sin does to each one of us. Now in this series, you'll remember that John is writing this letter to to Christians. Not writing to non-Christians, he's writing to those that are believers in the church. But he's trying to draw a contrast because there's a problem in the church. What has happened is, in John's church, and in every church since then, there is a group of people that claim to be believers, that that say they are believers, that get into the real body of Christ, and John says they infect it. They, They are religious, but they have no relationship with God. Now, I'm not trying to be judgmental. These are John's words. He uses it over and over again. He says, there are those that say, there are those that claim, there are those that, that uh, pretend or act or, or say that they are this way, when in reality they are not. You see, what John is warning the church is that there are a group of people that come to church and do the things of church, but they're really not children of God. Now, John's not trying to be condemning. He's not saying these are bad people. What he's doing is hoping that by giving this warning, those that are within the body of Christ, that are religious, that are, are good people, but just have never upgraded their system will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to their heart and reveal to them the truth that they're not real, that they've never given their life to Jesus Christ. And so as John has been doing that through the book of 1 John, this morning he's going to come to a very sensitive subject. He's going to come to a subject that, that probably reveals more about where we stand than anything else that he's talked about. Uh, you remember he's talked about walking in the light. He's talked about loving our neighbors. He's talked about being in fellowship with the body. He's talked about not liking the world, hating the world. And here he's going to come and talk about how you can compare and contrast between someone who is just religious and someone who really has a relationship with God. And that is how we respond and react to sin. See, what John is going to ask is, and what he's going to really identify is that those that claim to be children of God will respond to sin one way, and those that claim to be Christian but really aren't will respond to sin a different way. And so the question for you and I as we dig into this passage and as we talk about this passage is, is where do you fall? 
You see, I'm going to do it a little different this morning. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the main point right off the bat and then see how John unpacks it. Because I I don't want you to take notes. I want you to listen. Because I, I, like John, believe that there are people in the church that are missing out on what grace and forgiveness are all about. Are missing out on the power of Christ in their life. They're missing out on the walk that God has called us to. The intimacy that he has created us for. And and they're missing out. But yet they continue to come and and play church. Or they continue to come and put on a smile. For whatever reason. Whether it was religion or it's just their upbringing. Or whatever it's their background. But when the Holy Spirit is clear. He reveals where you stand. And so my prayer is this morning. That you'll be honest with yourself. You'll be honest with where you stand. You'll be honest with how you deal with sin in your life. How you deal with those things that we so easily have allowed in. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 John, as I said, 1 John chapter 3. And uh, as we look at this, uh, I I hope you listen with open hearts and minds, with spiritual ears. Because I believe God has something for all of us this morning. Uh, We're going to continue where we left off last week. Remember, this is all one context. We're going to take three weeks to get through this one thought of John. John started last week by reminding us that those that are real believers are children of God. It's not just a a name that we call ourselves, not a name somebody else calls us. That is who we are, is what he says in verse 2 and 3. And if you missed last week, go back and listen to it online because you've got to uh, really grasp how he talks about the love of God and how that compels us as children of God. Now what John is going to say is as children of God, not only do we have so many privileges and so many rights, we also have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to live a life in relationship with God, to pursue that fellowship. But when sin enters in, it cuts us off from that relationship. So let's just dig in and look at what he says here. We're going to start in verse 4 of chapter 3. And you've got it on that blue sheet, I believe. He says, everyone who sins breaks the law. Now, that's, it doesn't say some of us who sin, the group that sins. He said, everyone that sins. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. Romans 5, 8, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he says, and, and the sin, in fact, is lawlessness. The Bible says we all break the law. We are all lawbreakers. We are all in need of a Savior. We are all, because of that sin, because Romans 6.23 tells us the wage of sin is death. One sin equals death. Somebody says, I don't do so, so bad. I'm not really that bad of a person. I really don't sin that much. Doesn't matter. One sin, the Bible says, the payment for that sin, for breaking God's law, is death. He says, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away your sins. And in him is no sin. Now listen to this. For no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now some use this passage to justify that we can fall from grace or that you can lose your salvation. That that if you are a Christian and you sin, in that sin you can walk away from your salvation. That's not what John's saying here. He's not talking about a sin. Listen to me. Every one of us in this room sins. Believers and unbelievers, we all sin. Everyone is going to sin. No one will live a sinless life except for Jesus Christ. All of us are going to sin. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is a pattern of sin. Matter of fact, the word there that is continue comes from the Greek word, which is meno, which means to abide. 
means to dwell. What John is saying is, is that no one who allows sin to dwell in their life is a child of God. You see, what he's saying is they don't lose their salvation when they sin or allow sin to dwell in their life. They never had salvation. He wants us to understand that if we are a person that has allowed sin to find a home in our life, to dwell in our life, to live in our life, then God can't live in the same place. God's not going to share you with sin. He, He can't stand it. And it's not just a matter of you missing the mark. It's a matter of you missing the mark and then dwelling in that place and staying in that place. And what John says is anyone who stays in that place cannot be a child of God. And so this is where we've got to begin to think. This is where the tension is. This is where I want you to listen with spiritual ears because so many times this, it makes us so uncomfortable. Because you see, we don't understand that you can't live with two operating systems trying to work at the same time. It doesn't. See, we don't like to talk about sin today in the church. Makes people uncomfortable. Makes people get a little squiggly and it should see we're so worried about making people comfortable that we water down the gospel and we don't teach the whole truth people tell me rusty you know people have left the church said rusty you need to tone down your preaching because because it's just so intense listen i'm not going to apologize for teaching the truth not going to apologize for teaching the whole counsel of god People say, well, can't we talk about love more? Well, we talked about love last week, but let me help you understand this. We can never understand. You go back and read verse 1 and 2. We cannot grasp the love that God has lavished on us unless we really understand how much that love cost Him. See, we can't grasp the extent of the beauty of the love that He freely gives us until we understand the cost of sin. Until we understand the payment of sin. And please hear this. I would rather you be uncomfortable for a few minutes on a Sunday than the uncomfort that you would have to spend an eternity separated from God. See, we can't water it down. And you see what John is really talking about is he's talking about how we respond, how we react to sin when sin comes in our life. If all of us are going to sin, if all of us are going to struggle with sin, how do we react to it? Let's keep reading. Look what he says. Dear children, and this is his phrase again to remind you, listen, don't let anyone lead you astray. Lead you astray from what? For he who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. For no one who is born of God will continue to sin. It's that same word continue. Minnow will continue to allow sin to dwell in its heart, sin to dwell in their life. For this is how we know who the children of God are. Here's where the water hits the wheel and who the children of the devil is. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. You see, John warns us not to let anyone lead us astray from what? Not to let anyone lead us astray on the power and destruction and incredible, overwhelming destructive nature of sin in our life he said don't let anyone try to convince you otherwise see what i want you to hear me saying is is we are living in a time in our nation and and this is just brutally honest where everything is justified and rationalized 
We no longer call sin a sin in this country, and and we've allowed that to happen in our own lives, in our own families, and what has happened is that has permeated the church. You see, we live in a time where right is wrong and wrong is right, and no one says anything about it for fear of what people may say to them. You say, well, how does that hurt us? We're in the church. Because what happens is, when we start calling wrong right, somehow that begins to permeate into our thinking. And that's what John's saying. Don't let anyone lead you down that path to think that wrong is right. Someone once wrote it this way. Man calls it an accident. God calls it an abomination. Man calls it a blunder. God calls it blindness. Man calls it a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls it an error. God calls it enmity. Man calls it fascination. God calls it fatality. Man calls it a trifle. God calls it a tragedy. Man calls it a mistake. God calls it madness. Man calls it weakness. God calls it willfulness. Man calls it liberty. God calls it lawlessness. See, we are living in a society that is growing increasingly afraid to confront sin and evil. Why? Because our society is growing more sinful and more evil over time. And for the sake of being politically correct, we hold our tongue because we think somehow that's going to make people like us. See, Satan, what John says, who is a liar and an accuser, has tricked people. I want you to hear this. He has tricked us into calling something things that they are not. Because he knows that the moment that we can begin to hide in our own mind or rationalize in our own mind that something that God calls sin and and destruction, another name, then all of a sudden that other name makes it okay. Think I'm out there on a limb? We no longer call it murder in America or infanticide. We now call it choice. We no longer call it adultery. Adultery sounds too mean. We now call it an affair. Sounds a little easier, doesn't it? It's easier to justify. We no longer call it greed or envy. Now it's just the American dream. We don't call it absolute truth. Now it's relative. Now it matters what your situation is on whether or not it's truth. It's no longer a sexual sin. Now it's just a lifestyle choice. You see, what we've done in renaming these things is justify them in our own mind, in the lifestyles of those around us, and it has influenced everything that we think and do. And that influences how we respond to the sin in our life. You see, we've stopped respecting God's authority over our lives. Instead of God being in charge, what we've decided is we know better for our own lives. God's out of touch. I hear people saying that all the time. The Bible's an old book. No longer matters. Listen, it hasn't changed. God's Word is just as true today as it was in John's day. And sin destroys and kills just as much today as it did in John's day. We no longer submit to God's authority. And is it any wonder we're raising generation after generation that doesn't respect any authority, especially spiritual or moral? See, instead of praying the way jesus prayed not my will not what i want but thine we've turned it into praying this is what i'd like to see happen this is what i want now god make it so heard ck chesterton i read an article by ck chesterton that said this once we appease our conscience by calling something a necessary evil it begins to look more and more necessary and less and less evil 
You see, what happens is we decide that we're in charge according to how we feel, what we think, or what we want. But the Bible warns us there's a way that looks right, that feels right, that seems right to man. But in the end, it leads to destruction. See, we somehow have equated love with this word tolerance. Somehow we've equated that if we love somebody, we've got to be tolerant of them. Listen, tolerance isn't love. It's turning a blind eye. Not trying to be judgmental or condemning. And listen, this idea of saying, well, you're, you're being judgmental, and the Bible says do not judge. No, it doesn't. It's the most misused verse in the Bible. Over and over again, the Bible teaches that you can tell someone's life by their lifestyle. You can tell by what comes out of their mouth. That's all that John is trying to teach. Matter of fact, John and Paul both say judgment starts in the house of God. We've got to begin to hold each other accountable. And you see this idea that that to show love, somehow I've got to tolerate your sin and say it's okay is wrong. You don't do that when you raise your kids. You don't do that when your kids are doing something that is extremely dangerous and you know it's dangerous even if they're having fun. You don't say, well, they're having fun, so I'm just going to tolerate this action. No, you go because you love them and tell them you've got to stop. You see, when you love somebody, when you love something, you've got to stand up for the truth, even if it hurts. That's why John ends this passage with saying we've got to love our brother. Next week he's going to go into that. But part of loving our brother means that we have to recognize that sin destroys. Listen, I hate sin. I hate sin in my life. I hate sin in your life. I hate sin in this world. Not because I'm a a Bible-thumping preacher. I hate sin because I've seen it destroy families and marriages and homes and individuals. And I know that if people are left in the mess of sin and the destruction of the devil, their life has no hope. So we need to recognize and understand John is warning us we can't get comfortable with sin. Renaming it doesn't make it okay. Turning a blind eye doesn't make it okay. Pretending it doesn't exist doesn't make it okay. You see, there are consequences when a real child of God sins. It affects you. It's not something that you should be comfortable with. The greatest thing it does is it severs your intimacy with God. When David sinned, he said, My sin has become like the clouds blouting out the sun before me and God. You see, when you're walking in an intimate relationship with God, if you are a believer and He is new in you and you've already got the upgrade and you're walking, when we sin, it becomes a barrier and you can no longer hear from God. You're no longer close. But sin does even more. It also robs you of your joy as a Christian. David said in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. My sin is ever before me. You see, when you're walking in sin, when you're walking in lawlessness, when you're walking in disobedience, and listen, I'm not talking about a one-time sin. Okay? So don't walk out and think, well, you know, I I let a word fly, or I did this thing, or I looked a different way, or I lost my temper, and so I... No, I'm talking about a pattern of sin. I'm talking about dwelling in sin. When you allow sin to begin to dwell in your life, your joy will be robbed. Because your passion and your joy comes from the Holy Spirit. And if you're no longer intimate with the Holy Spirit, there is no joy. 
That's why we have so many joyless people in the church. And we pretend and we smile. Why pretend? Why not get the real thing? I never understood when the real thing is so readily available. Why pretend? It steals your joy. It steals your intimacy. It also steals your purpose to serve. Because you see, the whole reason we were created is to serve God, to do what God's called us to do. But when you're sinning and walking away from God, the Holy Spirit is grieved, and He's the one who gives you the passion to serve. You wonder why so many people have such a tough time getting people involved in service today? We don't witness because we, we haven't dealt with the sin in our life. There's no passion for it. There's no passion for service. Because you see, when you're intimate with God and there is a joy there, you just want to serve and people can't hold you back. You just want to go out and do the things of God. It severs your intimacy. It steals your joy. It steals your passion. And probably the the most scary part of it is it sets you up in a place for God to discipline you. Now we, We don't talk about sin. We really don't like talking about God's discipline. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews, those who God loves, He disciplines. See, please hear me. God is more concerned with your spiritual health than anything else. He's more concerned with your spiritual health than your physical health. He's more concerned with your spiritual health than your financial health. You see, God is concerned about this intimacy and whatever it's going to take because He loves you and He won't tolerate sin. Whatever it's going to take, if you don't listen, He he gets our attention the same way you do as a parent. What do you do as a parent when your child is disobedient? The first thing you do is you use the word, right? Hopefully. Do not do that. I asked you to not do that. But if the word doesn't get your attention, then what happens? Well, my parents, and in my home, they went to the rod. Because if the Word doesn't wake you up, and the Word doesn't get your attention, then the rod will get your attention. And the Bible says in Hebrews, God does the same thing. If He doesn't get your attention through His Word, then He'll get your attention another way. You see, when you set yourself up in disobedience, you open a door that is dangerous. God takes it seriously. He takes sin seriously. Why? Because it cost him his son. And he sees what it does to those he calls his children. The question for you and I this morning is, why don't we take it seriously? I read a story about a man who had a snake and he wanted to feed a snake a live mouse and I know that's gross for some of you and so he went and got a live mouse this little white mouse and he took it over to the glass snake cage and he dropped the mouse in the cage and uh, the snake was asleep over in a pile of sawdust well the mouse realized that he had had a problem big problem on his hands so what did he do he immediately came up with a plan he began to get the sawdust and push it over on top of the snake And he worked and he worked and he worked and finally the snake was completely covered. You couldn't see the snake at all. So he thought, I solved the problem. Out of sight, out of mind, right? See, that's the way we treat sin in our life. If we can cover it up, if we can deny it, if we can act like it didn't happen, then it's going to go away. But unfortunately, the Bible says there's going to come a moment where the snake is going to wake up and it's going to shake off the sawdust. 
So what happened to the little mouse? Its help came from outside. You see, the man who owned it saw what the mouse was doing and felt sorry for him. And he reached in and he pulled him out. See, that's the good news of our passage this morning. That's the good news of what John says. Because John said twice in this passage on sin, but Jesus showed up. In verse 5, he says, Jesus appeared. In verse 8, he said, Jesus appeared. Why did Jesus appear? Well, he gives two examples. He says, Jesus appeared to take away sin. Now, what does that mean? How can Jesus take away sin if we still struggle with sin? What he's saying is Jesus appeared to take away the power and pattern of sin. Verse 5, he says, the, the pattern of sin. What does that mean? That means Jesus came so that you and I not only can be forgiven for our sins, but we don't have to sin anymore. You are no longer under the control of sin. When you sin, it's your choice. And in verse 8, it says that Jesus came to take away the practice of the devil. Now, I love the word there. The word destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy, it literally in the Greek means to untie and untangle. And it's a great word picture because you see what the devil does to believers when we sin is he unties and wraps us up and he gets us in bondage and he, he entangles us. Remember Paul, the writer of Hebrews, is talking Hebrews uh, chapter 12. He says, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race laid out before us. Because you see what John is saying is for the Christian, for the real child of God, when we sin, it gets us in bondage. We become in bondage to that sin and in bondage to the devil. And what he's saying is sin is destroying us. Sin is destructive. We've got to get sick of sin. But more importantly, the hope that we have is there's a new system. And it's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ will set you free. But you have to trust Him. See, we've got to get to the place where we trust Him. Why in the world, when we've been pulled out of the cage, do we so quickly climb right back in? So what does this mean for you and I? What's the app? How do we apply it? Three words. Easy words. That's what I'm going to close with. First word is confession. Confession. What does confession mean? It means saying what God said. So what does God say? He says sin is destructive. See, affair sounds fun, doesn't it? Affair. God says adultery. You see, when we begin to confess our sins, what that does is it helps us recognize that sin is real. See, we don't confess to God because He doesn't know. I used to think that when I was little, that I had to make a list because maybe somehow God didn't understand. God knows what I did. God knows what's eating me up from the inside. I confess so that I can admit to Him that I'm wrong. You need to confess. Not wait. You see, the moment that you sin, you've got to confess. Don't let it take root. Don't make excuses. Don't rationalize. Don't go to ask other people's opinions. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction in your heart, confess. Because the longer you wait, the more barriers come. And the number you get to the call of the Holy Spirit. The second word is humility. 
See, the hardest thing for you and I to admit is that we have sin in our lives. We like to put on smiles and good faces and act like everything's going great. We don't like to admit that we struggle. Oh, we feel good because most of us don't struggle with the public sins, right? Those big sins that everybody can see. What about your heart? What about your attitude? What about your desires? Is God the authority of your life? Is He in control? See, we need to be humble this morning and like David said, search me, God. I'm an open book. Not hiding anything. And open all the closets. Search me. You see, if you can't be humble, you'll never get to the place of confession. If you're not willing to admit, God, I've messed up. For some of you, it's, it's humility to recognize that you're really not a child of God. And I'll just be honest with you. You've been religious. You may have been in church all your life. But you recognize this morning that sin is not just something you struggle with. Sin dwells. You've given it a home. You've made excuses. And you're wrapped up in it. And it's pulling you down. Confession, humility. And the third word is repentance. You see, confession without repentance is just empty words. It's just an act. Do you know what repentance means? It means to turn around. It means to commit to stop what it is that you shouldn't be doing. And that's where the water hits the wheel for many of us. That's where we struggle. You see, we come to this place where God convicts us and we confess. And we say, I don't want to do this anymore. And we humbly pour ourselves out to God. But we struggle with stopping it. You know why? Because we don't hate it as much as God hates it. You see, until you get to the place that you hate sin the way God hates it, you'll never turn your back on it. You see, we like keeping it in the cloud, right? just in case we might need it. I like to get angry every once in a while, right? Let me just keep it out here. I got a right to be angry. No, you don't have any rights. You gave those rights up at the cross. I like this sin. It feels good. So we keep it out over here just in case in our back pocket. But God said when you recognize sin for what it is, for what it did to Jesus on the cross and how it destroys you, you begin to hate it. And the moment you begin to hate that sin because you see what it's doing to your marriage, you see what it's doing to your family, you see what it's doing to those around you, and inside of you, you turn around and you walk away from it. You see, that is the hope of Christ. See, we've got to be diligent. We can't let our guard down. Christianity is not just good advice. It's not just a lifestyle choice. It's a complete upgrade. And it's available for you and I. I love, I was reading in the history books this week, Calvin Coolidge, who doesn't get a lot of play, is one of our presidents from 1923 to 1929 was president. He was known for his dry wit, and his, he was quiet. That's why his nickname was Silent Sal. Matter of fact, his wife tells a story that he was at a dinner party one day, and a lady came up to him and said, everyone says you never talk, everyone says you're always quiet. He said, I made a bet for $5 that I could get you to say more than three words. Coolidge looked at her and said, you lose. That's who he was. And the story is told that he had come home from church one Sunday and, and his wife wasn't able to go because he was taking care of their child. And he came home from church and he walked in and his wife said, Honey, how was church? What, what did the preacher teach about? 
And Coolidge, in the way that he always talks, turned around and said he talked about sin. He just said sin. His wife said, sin? That doesn't tell me anything. What did he say about it? He began to press him and began to press him. Coolidge quickly and dryly turned around and just said, he's against it. See, John's warning us the same thing. As believers, sometimes we forget that truth. Simple, but yet powerful. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, I believe there's probably some here this morning that have turned their back on You. They've renamed the sin that they struggle with to make it sound comfortable and palatable and okay, and they've walked in it and lived in it for so long that it's taken over their life. It's in control. And Father, until they come to a place of walking away from it and hating it the way you hate it, God, they'll never let go. God, I pray this morning the power of the Holy Spirit on them to break those chains. Jesus, I pray that you'd set them free. It just starts by saying yes to Jesus. Father, there are many believers in here that, Father, we've lost our joy, we've lost our power, we've lost our intimacy because we've said yes to sin. Kept it in the cloud instead of getting rid of it. Instead of deleting and clearing it out. Father, we, we've justified it and we've rationalized it. And we wonder why we have so many problems. We wonder why we have issues in our personality and issues at home and issues at work and issues with other people and our intimacy with you. And church just doesn't seem the same. The songs don't seem the same. It's because we've walked away, God. This morning, I pray you'd call believers home. You'd call them to humility. You'd call them to the altar in their heart to say, God, I submit to you. You're my authority. Take it all. Take it all. Father, you're more than enough for any need that we have. We submit to you. In your name, amen. We're going to close with a time of prayer and commitment. Altars will be open if you need to